We're going to continue this morning talking about um, our uh, Joseph story, dealing with our own baggage. And uh, just like the video says, you and I have a story. Many times we get stuck in our story, and we need something to help us to get out. Scripture tells us that we're supposed to run our race without being weighed down. And the truth is, if you live life at all, you are eventually going to get weighed down by something. Last week, we began uh, talking about the story of Joseph, and uh, you'll, you'll have to remember throughout this series, this is pre-law. So that means that if you follow your biblical history from the beginning, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were kicked out of the garden of, uh, so that they could no longer partake of that, and they could also not eat of the tree that, that you, they would live forever. And so after that point, we enter a time of humanity in which you really didn't know what the rules were, but there was an innate sense within you that something was right or wrong, and it was no time at all before we began to see conflict between people. And we literally get to the story of Cain and Abel, and, and immediately the anger and the envy and, you know, one brother kills another. Uh, and so the world is messed up at this point. We go through that history, and the world kind of spirals into chaos. And up to the point where there was really only one person found to be righteous in the world, and you know who that was? Noah. I know, you had an hour less sleep last night. It was Noah. Now, Whenever we enter into the story of Joseph, we begin with Noah. He has three sons. His son Shem is where we really see the rest of the timeline of all the patriarchs. And so from the lineage of Shem comes Abraham. And we studied the life of Abraham just a little bit. We looked at some of his uh, life story. And what we have found are many of the people that we hold up as great pillars of faith in the Old Testament were really kind of messed up. As we look back through the people that we think, you know, they just, they were great people, and they were. And God said, they are not righteous because of their deeds, they're righteous because of their faith, which is a good thing because some of their deeds are not so great. As we looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah at this time, it was crucial that you married within the faith. You did not go outside the faith. And so what that often meant when the population was this small is that you married within your family. So Abraham and Sarah literally are stepbrother and stepsister. They get married. They, God says, Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to settle in a place that I will eventually show you. Your descendants will number more than the stars that you can count at night. And as we look at the story of Abraham, we find that Abraham made some not so great choices. But as they went out, he told his wife at the time, said, now I want you to not tell people you're my wife. I want you to tell them you're my sister because, you know, you're really pretty. And if, if they want you to be their wife, then they're going to kill me. So, so tell them you're my sister. And literally, she was taken as someone else's wife. And then they find out, oh, you're married to Abraham. Why have you done this thing? Interestingly enough, Sarah's not able to have children. And so rather than waiting on the promise that God had given them, Sarah says, here is my handmaid, Hagar, and I want you to have children with her. And so Abraham said, sure, why not? Let's do it. And so he does, and they have a child, and his name is Ishmael. Now, what we're going to find 
later in the story, what is important is eventually Sarah does get pregnant with Isaac. Now, Isaac is another special story, and if you'll remember that story, it's when God said, I want you to bring your child Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. As one child he's been waiting for, his hope for all of his generations was going to be in this one child. And he says, I want you to have your faith in me, and so I want you to sacrifice that child for me. And he demonstrated his faith by following through up until the point that he actually killed Isaac. And that's when God intervened, and he brought another sacrifice instead Now, what we see in that story is a really interesting story in that the children of Hagar and Abraham are going to enter into our story today. That group being Ishmael, who would later be called the Ishmaelites, who, interestingly enough, is thought that Muhammad, who is heralded as the prophet of Islam, is said to have come from Ishmael. So all that you see even today in religious conflict finds its way back into this incredible period of time for humanity when there was a knowledge of good and evil, but the law had not been given yet through Moses. And so they're just kind of finding their way. We've also seen these generational curses or these sins of the father that passed down into children is not so much that God is going to punish your sin because it's so bad that he's going to punish those beyond you, even your children. But instead, what we find is when we don't deal with our baggage, we pass that baggage along. And so as we look at some of these families, as we look at the life of Jacob, who would eventually be born, and he would be married to, hopefully, Rachel. Instead, he gets married to Leah without him knowing, which was really his own fault. He should have known what was happening. He begins to have children with Leah, and then Laban gives him Rachel to be married, and then Rachel eventually has a son by the name of Joseph. This is where we enter into the story. Now, I want to just remind you what I shared with you last week. The three keys to overcoming our baggage, number one I shared with you last week, is that we have to recognize that we have it. If we don't recognize that we have it, we willingly carry it around with us. So we have to recognize we have it. We have to own it and recognize that our baggage is sin. It is when we have engaged the world in a way that does not honor God and it weighs us down. And the third thing was that we have to, and you're going to hear this throughout the series, we have to move to a point of forgiving those who have offended us, who have hurt us. Because forgiveness is often the key to releasing your baggage. Now, it may be forgiving someone else. It may be forgiving yourself. So we're going to go through some of these. The last thing I share with you and I asked you to do this week was to ask God to reveal your baggage that's weighing you down because once we begin to deal with our own baggage, we can fully live in the plan that God has for our lives. What I want you to see today is how destructive your baggage can be. And we're going to look at the next part of the story of Joseph. Sometimes we think, well, it's just who I am. It's just the way we are. Sometimes we look at our family members and say, well, they're just as bad as I am. They're just as messed up as I am. And so we just kind of live with it. But the truth is when we don't deal with our baggage, when we're not opening ourselves up for God to show us what it is, and we're not going to go through the process of forgiveness, then it can be incredibly destructive. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. Or you can follow along on version. We're going to begin with verse 12, and we're going to move through this pretty quickly because I've got some other things I want to share with you 
as well. Verse 12 says, now his brothers, you'll remember our story to this point. There are 10 other brothers that were born before Joseph. And Joseph was the favorite of his father, Jacob. Now, you also need to remember that Jacob's name will eventually become Israel. God will change his name to Israel. And Israel, the nation of Israel, will literally be populated by the sons of Jacob, who would be called Israel. So when you read about Israel in Scripture, you need to understand those are the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes are headed up by the 12 children of Jacob. So we're going to hear him referred to as Israel today. But the relationship between Joseph and his brothers is not good. You'll remember the first thing we read last week was that he came to his brothers and he said, I've had a dream. You are all going to bow down to me. Then he said, I had another dream. And not only are you going to bow down to me, my mom and dad are going to bow down to me. And nobody was excited about his dream. And his father who favored him, who never learned the consequences of being a favoring a child, made him a coat of many colors, and that is what he is often known for. But there's so much more to Joseph than just his coat. But that's where we enter into this story. His brothers went to pasture to their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, also remember that the brothers were already mad at him because he had already gone back to dad before and said, Hey, dad, my brothers are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That is a pure recipe for conflict among brothers. Amen? If you have a brother or a sister, you know what that's like. I shared with you last week, I got in trouble for a lot of things my sister did. She was better at looking innocent than I was. And you probably did that with your brothers and sisters. I did my own share of bad things too. But there was already conflict. Now, I want you to recognize what Jacob is asking him to do. Put yourself in his brother's shoes. And what are they going to think? by the fact that Jacob has just said to Joseph, go check on your brothers and come back and tell me how they're doing. So you can already imagine there's some conflict going on. They're probably not really excited to see him. Verse 15 says, And a man found him wandering in the fields. He's lost. Doesn't know where he's going to go. He doesn't know where his brothers are. He's at Shechem. They're not there. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. Now, what we've already discovered in this story, and when we start to talk about baggage, it can be tempting to ignore your baggage, can also be tempting to think only of your own. But we really have at least three parties who were dealing with significant baggage at this point. We clearly have the brothers. And at first glance, we think, well, the brothers have the problem. But realistically, 
We also have a problem with Joseph and his baggage being the favored. He can't even find his brothers. He needs somebody to come help him, which what we are going to find later in this series, imagine knowing what's going to happen at the end of this story. What would happen if the man had not been there to tell Joseph where they went? That one key detail could have changed this entire story. And one thing that you're going to have to deal with through this story is recognizing that there are times that you yourself are going to find yourself in trouble and God actually put you there on purpose. Because there's a bad theology that goes around our world today that says if you love God, if you obey God, if you do all the things that you're supposed to do for God, then your life will be happy and comfortable. And God will save you from any problems because after all, God will not let, not let anything come against you that you can't handle, right? So as we go through this story, we're going to have to come to an uncomfortable understanding that there are times that God puts a man like this in your path that had he not been there, Joseph might never have found them, might have gone home, end of story. But instead, the man is there. There are some scholars that believe the man may have been an angel similar to the man that he wrestled. I don't know if that's true or not. But I can tell you that through my own life and through the lives of watching others, that God will often put things in place that will lead you into place of trouble with a bigger goal in mind. So at this point, we can look at the brother's baggage. We can look at Joseph's baggage. we got to remember that Jacob did not learn from his baggage. The baggage that Jacob had was that his father did not love him as much as his brother. Jacob's brother was who? It was Esau. Jacob and Esau were both born, and Rebecca or Rachel favored Jacob, and Isaac favored Esau. And so Jacob, being the youngest, grew up in this, his brother's shadow in his dad's eye. And there's something that happens when a parent favors a child that leads their children to some really terrible places. The desire to prove that they are loved, the desire to seek affirmation from anywhere that they can get it because they don't feel like they're getting it at home. And always the curiosity of why did they love them better than me? It's so crucial in all that you do as a parent that you don't show favoritism for one child or the other. We at our, our family, we are equal opportunity punishers, right? There's Emma. Emma's the only one that's in here. I guess Jake's out serving today. So they all get in trouble for the same stuff. They all get rewarded for the same stuff. And constantly, Jonathan will ask me, well, who's your favorite? He wants to know, who's your favorite? Is your, you know, and he'll come up with a list of questions that will try to push me to that point. So I always tell Jonathan, you are my favorite youngest son. <laughs> He's my only youngest son. And Jake is my favorite oldest son. And Emma is my favorite middle daughter. Now, I'm not saying that we always parent perfectly, and I'm not saying that you will ever parent perfectly. None of us really will. If you haven't set aside a counseling fund for your children, you're probably not doing something right. <laughs> but the reality is, Jacob and Esau almost came to the same end as Cain and Abel. 
because their parents favored one over the other. Now, what ended up happening with Rachel is that Rachel began to feed Jacob and say, this is how you need to get ahead of your brother Esau. And so she taught him how he could trick Esau, tricked him out of his birthright, then tricked him out of his blessing to the point that Esau sought to kill him. And Jacob had to run until eventually he would come and he would bow down before his brother and ask forgiveness, and they would have an incredible reunion of forgiveness between the two. But you would think that in the middle of all of that story, Jacob would learn, I need to not have favorites. And yet in this story, his favorite is Joseph. All of that is baggage. Jacob had the baggage of knowing that his dad never truly favored him. His dad never truly cared for him like he cared for Esau. And all of these brothers knew that Jacob favored Joseph. You're going to see that theme over and over and over again. And what ends up happening when we begin to to look at these stories is we begin to find that your unchecked baggage will always affect those that are close to you. It's never just you. As much as we say, well, I can deal with this. This is my issue. It's not really bothering other people. The truth is, is it always does. Your baggage always affects other people. How much it affects other people is dependent on how blind you are to your own issues. It will always affect those that are around you. Jacob was blind to what this was doing to his other sons. And also, his favoritism for Joseph seemed to at least indicate he couldn't find his way to follow a group of shepherds and their flock. He needed somebody to help him, whereas the other brothers were more apt and able to deal with life. Jacob's favoritism kept him sheltered. If we pick up the story in verse 41, it says, uh, well, no, I'm sorry, verse 21. It says, but when Reuben heard it, this is the plan, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to him, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Now, do the math. These are literally their cousins that are coming down. And we're only a few generations removed. So there can't have been that many Ishmaelites at this time. But literally, their cousins come by. Coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then many a night traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now I want you to imagine that you're Joseph. One of the things that Joseph is learning very quick, and we're thinking he's 17 years old at this point. One of the things that he learns very quick, and one of the things that we have to be aware of when we're living our lives, is that unchecked baggage loves company. 
Unchecked baggage loves company. In other words, if you're carrying a heavy load, you like to be around other people carrying a heavy load. What we end up seeing in the story of these brothers is that we've got Reuben, who is the oldest, the firstborn, saying we should not kill him. We just need to put him in a pit. And his goal was, I'm going to come back and rescue him and get him out of here. So the question is, well, why doesn't Reuben just step in and say, don't do anything at all? And the reason is because the rest of his brothers were incensed. They were angry. Their baggage, they're talking about it. They're saying how unfair this is, how unfair Jacob is, how terrible Joseph is. Can you remember his dream? Can you believe he would say that? He needs to die. And so what Reuben runs into, instead of being able to be a voice of reason in the midst of this group, the eldest, who should, they should be listening to, he has to devise a plan to try to trick them so he can save him because he knows at this point they've become a mob and they're ready to kill. Baggage loves company. That's why you'll find people that love to be around others and talk about how bad their lives are. I've never known anybody get out of a difficult life by sitting and talking about how bad their life is all the time. It doesn't happen. And what ends up happening over time when you surround yourself with friends and you like to talk about how bad things are, you end up getting stuck living a victim's life, talking about all the bad things that have happened to you rather than taking the time to deal with the problem and growing beyond it. Baggage loves company. They encourage each other. They inflame each other. They remind each other about how bad their baggage really is. And they're sure to pass blame every chance that they get. Reuben could have stopped it, but he didn't. Verse 29 says, When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, at some point, of them putting him in the pit and all of these traitors coming by. Reuben has gone somewhere else and he's come back to rescue him and he's not there for the exchange. When Reuben returned, he saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe into the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identifies it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. What we learn from this story and that is so true about baggage is that this unchecked baggage, if we don't deal with it, if we don't recognize it, it will end up leading us where we never wanted to go. So our baggage, it just stews, it ferments. We recite over and over in our minds how angry we are about something or can you believe what they did to me? Can you believe how bad they are? We rehearse arguments where we always win. (laughs) 
And we let our thoughts just be dominated to the point where we will eventually act in a way we never would otherwise. That's what happened. No doubt these brothers never thought as they were growing up together, out playing in the fields, that they would eventually come to the place where they wanted to kill their brother. Or that they would come to the place where they would have to lie to their father because they've sold him into slavery. No one is born into this world thinking that's the kind of life that they want. But when we don't check our baggage, it grows within us. When we don't check the despair that grows within us, then we continue to live lives of depression. When we don't check our insecurities, then we continue to live lives trying our very best to get other people to validate us and show us that we have value. Whenever we live our lives constantly angry, we're denying the hurt that has happened along the way that has pushed us to a place where we don't want to forgive. What we want is revenge. And the truth is, if we're honest, if you watch TV, if you watch movies, you are inundated with a message that says, stay in your baggage. How many movies do we watch where there's a horrendous crime and the end of the story is forgiveness? How many? Can you think of any? Like very few. I'm sure they are. I can't think of any right off the top of my head. I'm sure there are some. But how many movies, how many TV shows are out there that push the storyline of revenge? They're everywhere. Don't ask forgiveness. Don't give forgiveness. Get revenge. Because the world who does not follow Jesus is so happy to have a world stuck in its baggage that it will continue to push a storyline that will keep us there rather than recognizing that true freedom comes by getting rid of it. Unchecked baggage will always take you where you don't want to go. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I don't know where your baggage has brought you, but this verse is the key to unloading it. So I want to give you three prayers this morning, three prayers that you can continually pray as you seek to unload whatever baggage you're dealing with. If you've not already dealt with what it is or some idea of what you're carrying, perhaps you're carrying lack of affection from a parent. Perhaps you're carrying abuse that you've held in your past. Perhaps you're just struggling with unforgiveness because someone that you cared about hurt you so deeply that you can't even think about it. It makes you so angry. Whatever it is, if you've begun to deal with your baggage, that somehow you're just not valuable, and so you've got to prove your value. I just want to encourage you to to pray three prayers at the time that you're dealing this. Number one, based on Romans 12, 2, God, renew my mind with your truth. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of Joseph for just a minute. Now, Joseph is not, at this point, the smartest guy, right? He's not the sharpest knife in the block. I mean, he's already told them they're going to bow down to him. He's got the coat that he wears around. Hey, guys, look at my coat. You all don't have one of these, do you? He's not figured out how mad they are at him. And so when his dad sends him out, he just goes. He goes out, and he's by himself, and he goes and begins looking for them, can't find them. They give him directions, and he goes and finds them. 
He's just completely immune to what's about to happen in his life. So that in that moment when they took his robe and threw him in the pit, what do you think was going through his mind? What are some emotions that you can imagine he would be going through? Just throw them out. Disbelief? Terror? Fear? Anger? Hurt? Confusion? Betrayal? Absolutely. Feeling all of those things. Now, here's what happens when you and I end up in our own pit. We go through all of those same emotions. And we will either attach a face to that, or if we can't find a person to blame, we will attach God to it. And that betrayal and that anger and that hurt and that fear will all be pushed onto God if we do not see as God sees. Now, this is a struggle for us today. It's a struggle for us because many of the Christian literature that you read, many of the pastors who preach sermons, they really want you to depend on the pastor. They really want you to depend on the spiritual professional to tell you what you're supposed to know and what you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to act. But I want you to know that is a, that's a fairly recent change within the church. That was never the way the church operated until more recently. Instead, every believer was meant to go before God and to see as he sees and to hear from him and to study his word and to receive that through the Holy Spirit and to be able to discern truth, not because I walked up and said, this is what is true. Oh, well, Mark said, this is what is true. This is what must be true. But no, you would go up to God and pray and you would study his word and he would reveal through the Holy Spirit discernment so that you would know what was true. And it's something that's lacking in many of our lives, the the belief and the desire and the practice in order to seek to see as God sees. Because when we fail to do that and we're in the pit, we will begin to eventually blame God for the situation we find ourselves in. Now, when we read a story like this, it's easy to say that because we know how this story is going to end. Joseph's eventually going to be set up pretty well after the end of this story. I mean, he's going to eventually rule over Egypt. I mean, he, he's really doing well. And we can look and say, you know what? God is going to use this, and God is going to move him to where he wants him to be, and it's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. But when you're in the pit, you can't necessarily see all that. But what I've learned in my own life is that it is in those moments that you're in the pit that you will truly determine what you really believe. You don't know what you really believe until you're hurting. You don't really know what you believe until you're in pain. You don't really know what you believe until you feel that you've been betrayed. And whenever we have the opportunity to see as God sees, it changes the way we see the world and our circumstances. For Joseph, it might be easy to say, well, God has abandoned you. Look. But what we know as we read the rest of his story is that he never believed nor said that. If you can see that God is at work, even when this terrible thing has happened to you, if you can trust that God is there, a good, loving God is still there with me, even when I'm in the pit, then we can get through anything. 
never truly know what you believe until you're in the pit. So prayer number one, God, renew my mind with your truth. What do I really need to believe about this situation? And God says, if you will pray this, and if you will seek the renewing of your mind, it will happen and it will change the way you see things. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be in the pit still, but your response will change. Now, your pit today, there's lots of pits that we find ourselves in. Your pit today could have been abuse. Your pit today could have been somebody didn't love you the way they should have. Your pit could be your job and how much it draws out of you that you're just always exhausted. Your pit could be just busyness and life activities and you never know. You can't do everything and you can't please everybody. Your pit can be all kinds of things. Your pit may be addiction because you have been hurt in life and you have tried to escape it. There are all kinds of pits that you and I find ourselves in, and it's easy to say, God, why did you let me get here? But if we trust that God is going to work things in a way that not only glorifies Him, but also helps us, then it changes the way we see. Prayer number one, God, renew my mind with your truth. Prayer number two, and this is so crucial, God, heal my hurt and my pain. See, I can, I can tell you what I think. I can tell you what I believe. I can change what I think and what I believe. You know what is very difficult to change? How I feel. And there is no feeling that's more difficult to change than the feeling of hurt or pain. When someone hurts, you can say, I shouldn't hurt, but you'll still hurt. When someone betrays you, you can say, that shouldn't bother me, but it does. When someone doesn't love you the way that you believe they're supposed to, it's easy to say, I sh- you know, I should understand, but I don't. So when we start talking about healing, for our baggage, it is our hurt and our pain is the thing that needs to be healed the most. We hold on to stuff because of that. If you've been wrong, that's why you rehearse that wrong over in your head. If someone's done something to make you mad, it's why you go it over in your head. Whenever you get home, you want to be sure and tell the story so you're not only struggling with it, your spouse is struggling with it too. We love to do this. We love to keep it in there. And there's something in us that loves to judge others and say, look how terrible a person they are that they have done this to me because they've hurt us. You know, the truth to anger is that anger always has a root. There's always something that pushes us to anger. And 99 times out of 100, there is an emotion that precedes anger, and it is hurt. When you are mad at someone, I mean, you are furious, stop and ask yourself, how have they hurt me? Now, at first, you won't want to think that way. Because that makes you vulnerable. And when you're angry, you want to be aggressive. You want to be the aggressor. But if you'll stop and say, why am I angry? Why am I mad about this? There's something that, that has hurt me. You will find that you will unravel anger faster by defining your hurt better than trying to just ignore your anger. It's really an amazing thing what hurt and pain does to us. It's one of the reasons that God 
encourages us to seek him and to seek joy rather than to seek this kind of way that the world lives. Romans 8.28 says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Understand that even in the midst of your hurt and in the midst of your pain, God is at work. For Joseph, he's in the pit, and then he's being sold into slavery, which eventually, when the law comes, this is literally a capital offense. If you do this to someone based on when the law comes, you're supposed to be killed. That's, that's what the law will eventually come in through Moses. They don't have it yet, but no matter what they had done, if you kill somebody, the penalty is death. You take a free person and sell them into slavery, the penalty will be death. That's how God sees that what they're doing, no matter if one seems better than the other, in God's eyes, they're the same. For him, you can't imagine what's going through his mind. I can't imagine what's going through his mind. How how the feelings of betrayal, the feelings of, why do my brothers hate me? Where is my father? How can he rescue me? He's not going to. His hurt and pain could have been immense. But instead, God was going to do something in this. And you can begin to deal with some of the things that hurt you the most when you begin to understand and you begin to believe God is going to somehow use this for something good. I can't see it now. When you're in the pit, all you see are the walls of the pit. But over time, you'll begin to learn that God is going to heal your hurt and pain and use it for something. The third prayer that you can pray, and this is, again, so very difficult is God help me to forgive. God help me to forgive. And the reason we have to pray and ask God to help us is because forgiveness does not come naturally to us. It's not something that we just automatically do. I, we don't just wake up in the morning and think through, who do I need to forgive today? We don't think that way. God help me to forgive. Forgiveness unlocks so much of the weight that holds us down in life. Someone hasn't loved you like they should. Someone hasn't given you what they should. Someone hasn't valued you like they should. Forgive them and let them go. The problem when we hold on to it is it continues to fester and grow and poison us. Colossians three twelve and 13 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Our forgiveness is not just to benefit them. It is to free us. (coughs) And we don't forgive because they have somehow become repentant. We forgive because we recognize that we live because of God has forgiven us. As we close out today, <clears throat> I want you to I'm give you some more homework for next week. Perhaps what you need are those three prayers. If you want them, they're on you version. You can get those notes there. Perhaps what you're struggling with is determining what the hurt really is. <clears throat> Maybe it's coming to the place of recognizing that what I'm really hurt over is myself. 
I am the owner of my baggage. I have created this within me. Maybe you're looking at someone else and saying, no, it's not me. I, can't, I know who's put this baggage on me. It's them. And maybe what you are going to struggle with this week is asking God to help you to deal with the hurt and the pain. But maybe you are going to be at the place where you need to ask God to forgive, help you forgive. <coughs> the two things I want you to remember for this week is if you are in the pit, if you are there right now, your current pit may be the next step in God's plan for your future. What we know through the rest of this story and what we'll, we'll follow through is that he will go to Egypt. Joseph will eventually end up in prison. While he's in prison, he will continue to dream these dreams that do come true. Not only does he dream them, but if someone else has a dream, he actually can interpret what they mean. And what he's going to find over a process is that as he interprets a dream, he helps other people, but it doesn't necessarily help him right away. Eventually, he'll have the opportunity to interpret the dream of the Pharaoh. And then he will become the Lord, basically, of all of Egypt under the Pharaoh. But we also will know about his story is that a great famine is coming, and it would wipe out his entire family if he wasn't in Egypt. But because he's in Egypt and he's in a place where through his wisdom, through his management of all of their resources, they can weather the storm. It's actually interesting if you'll read the story, and I hate to give up too much away. If you read the story, literally Joseph is responsible for all of Egypt's wealth. He manages it so well that when the famine comes, he trades grain for everything, for land, for slaves, for the ability to build. I mean, Joseph is responsible for all of that. Now, slavery was different than our understanding of slavery now. But he was, people were just giving everything just so they could survive. Had he not been in that position, his family would have died. What we'll read on into the story is eventually Joseph will pass away. And the Israelites that are there are going to be enslaved. They are going to be treated poorly. And eventually they will cry out for God. God will send them a redeemer to get them out of Egypt. And when he does that, something very, it says something very interesting. And that is that they dig up Joseph's bones and they take it with them. Because Joseph represented God's work in the nation of Israel. Today, what we're ending with is not Joseph as the Lord of all these things, that eventually his bones would be dug up and carried to the new land in which God had promised them, but it is Joseph in a pit. Now, I would like to say, and there are many who would say, that if you will just trust God, not only will you get out of the pit, you'll become the Lord of your own Egypt. Unfortunately, that is not the way it always works. However, God always can work when you have faith. For Joseph, he had to have faith in that moment. For you, wherever, whatever pit you're in, you cannot look at that as this is the rest of my life. This is not the life that I wanted. This is not what I always hoped for. You cannot look at the pit and say, this is the way the rest of my life is. Instead, we look at the pit and say, God is still working. God is still moving. 
I don't understand why everything is happening the way it is or why everything is worked out the way it is. But God is still at work. And if we believe his word, it may, his deliverance may not look like becoming the head of a nation. But yet when God delivers, it will be for our good and for his good. We've got to trust that God is still at work. It's just another step in God's plan. And finally, what I hope you see from this story, and there's so much more. I, we could go through the whole story right now. There's so much more to this story. What you're going to see from this story is that you have to release your baggage or it will eventually control you. It will eventually control you. I have seen men and women who have carried anger their entire lives. That when they are old, they are some of the meanest people you will ever see in your entire life. I see people that when they smile, you literally are afraid that their face is going to crack because they never smile. And so when it begins to happen, you think, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. Let's not hurt yourself. Our baggage will control us if we don't get rid of it. So I again encourage you, wherever you are on your path and on your journey, that if you're at a place where you need to discover, well, what is my baggage? What is weighing me down? Continue to pray that God will reveal that to you. If you've discovered it, you know it. It's got a name. It's got a face. Then maybe you're at the process where you need to begin praying these three prayers. God, help me to renew my mind with your truth. In other words, help me to see as you see. God, help me to heal from my hurt and my pain. God, help me to forgive so that I don't carry this around with me for the rest of my life. God wants you to be released so that you can run your race unhindered. I want to pray with you. We're going to sing one more song and take up our offering. And then I want to encourage you, if you'll just stick around and have lunch with us. We're just, no, no, big, no big plans. Just uh, find a place and... We're going to make it work. We don't have a bunch of tables and chairs set up, but we can, we'll probably pull some out so that you have a place to do that. Our goal for these lunches is not just to feed you because you're capable of feeding yourself. Our goal for the lunch is for us to talk and to get to know each other. So I hope that you'll find somebody that you don't normally talk to and you'll spend time getting to know them. All right, let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that we can look at the story of Joseph and we can see pieces of our own lives. Father, I thank you that even whenever we are in the pit and we are ready to give up, I thank you that you rescue us. Father, I thank you that as we look at the life of all of these men and their fathers and their fathers before them, I thank you that it is not our own personal acts of righteousness that make us welcome in your presence, but instead it is your grace and your love. Father, I pray for those in the room and and they cannot put a, a hand on the thing that is weighing them down. They just know that life is just not what they always hoped it would be. They're struggling. They're sad, dealing with depression. This is not the way life was supposed to be. Father, I pray that you would give them eyes to see and you would give them a willingness to let you transform their minds to see truth as it's true to you. I pray for those that are in the room and they, they can put a name on it. They know exactly what the problem is. They know exactly who to blame and maybe they're even blaming you today. Father, I pray that you would help them to heal from the hurt, 
Father, I pray that you would help them to forgive so that they don't have to carry this with them. Father, I pray that as we go, go out into the world, sometimes a hostile world where, where people just enjoy causing hurt, Pray that you would give us such a, a confidence in your love and the fact that no matter what happens, you can work it for good. I pray that that confidence would be so great that we will not be overwhelmed by those that seek to do us harm. Father, I, just, I pray that if you would help us to see as you see, it would change our lives. It would change the way we live them every single day. It would change the way we talk to each other, the way we love each other, the way we care for each other. I pray that we would have such a a grasp on the greatness of your forgiveness for us that it is not so hard for us to offer that same forgiveness to others. Father, I pray that as a community of faith, you'll help us to grow closer. You will help us to change each other's story. You have meant for us to intertwine our lives together and to share the things that hold us down and hold us back and to encourage and to help and to teach and to walk alongside each other. I pray that that would happen here in this place. Father, I pray for the pits that people find themselves in, that some may be in in this room today, the the pit of feeling like they're never in control of their lives or their schedules, but instead they're just constantly trying to keep up. Pray for those who so want to follow you and so want to make you more of an important part of their, their daily routine and their daily lives, but yet feel like they're just trying to survive. I pray for those who have gone through significant hurt. People have done significant things and caused them great pain. Pray that you'll help them to release that pain. They can walk in joy. Father, I pray that if we find ourselves like these brothers, surrounded by people that want to keep us stuck, that we will have the courage and the strength to get out and away to surround ourselves with different people, people that can encourage us, people that can remind us of goodness, can remind us of love, can remind us of healing. Father, I pray that we would deal with our baggage so that we can wholeheartedly follow you and not be controlled by the hurt that we carry. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.